Welcome to the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and it's my desire to help you grow in your knowledge of God's Word so that you can believe it and live it. Today's podcast is going to be like the previous three and like every other podcast this year. Uh, what it is, is a Q&A from our Sunday night services at First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. Um, I, earlier this year, actually at the end of last year, I gave cards to everyone in the church who wanted to read through God's Word in one year. And I told them that if they followed this plan, then as they read it, they could send me questions, email, text, phone call, write it down any way they wanted to, just get those questions to me, and I would consider answering those on Sunday nights. And so that's what our Sunday night is. So what you are about to listen to is the Q&A from Sunday nights at First Baptist Polk City on February the 5th. And we uh, had read through in the previous week, we had read through Exodus 13, through chapter 27, and then we'd also read Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, through chapter 23, verse 22. So anything in those chapters was fair game. And so I hope you enjoy this time. One of the things that I did do is I did splice out the the dead time where someone in the congregation asked a question, but you couldn't hear it because they didn't have a microphone. And so I did cut that out. And so hopefully it still flows as you listen to today's podcast. Okay, so it's good to see y'all here this evening. Remember, I just, I, we always need to, to understand why, because why gives us purpose. I mean, if all we're doing is just doing stuff, uh, like for instance on Sunday nights, we're just going through chapters of the Bible, then it may, you know, after a while, we're just wondering, you know, what, what the whole purpose of this is and may not want to stick it out. So we have to keep our minds mindful of our why. Why are we doing this? One, I'm encouraging everybody to read through their Bibles so that we can uh, realize that there are some people that have not read through their Bibles, and so for them, this is the first time. Second of all, uh, whenever we read through our Bibles, and we're read through, reading through it reasonably quickly, uh, one of the things that we observe is that we see how things kind of connect you know, if you're really digging into a text, you really get to mine out a lot of the wealth. But if you're reading through the Bible in a year, you're not really digging so much in unless you intentionally do that. But what you are seeing is how all of it kind of connects as it flows from one thing to the other. And so that gives us a little bit of uh, more competency in God's Word. But also, another big why is we cannot believe what we do not know. And we cannot act on obediently what we do not know. And so if we are truly people of the word, we've got to get into God's word so that we can know what to believe and know how to act, right? And so those are our big whys. It's not just to go through this. It's not just to fill our mind full of a lot of facts. It's so that we can be more conformed to the image of Jesus. So tonight, uh, as we looked this last week, um, as we uh, read this last week, if you're following the Bible reading program, you would have read Exodus 13 through chapter 27 this morning, and you would have read Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, through chapter 23, verse 22 this morning. 
So what I want us to do is I want to lead us in prayer, and then I want us to start with the New Testament. So go on and turn over to Matthew 20, okay? Uh, there was a question that was asked regarding Matthew 20. Um, and so I'm going to lead us in prayer, then we're going to address that. All right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you again. We thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace. Lord, we thank you for your word and for your Holy Spirit that not only wrote it, but desires to make it understandable to us. And so, Lord, I pray that, that we would realize the, the necessity of doing this. Lord, so many people that profess to be followers of you, profess to be people of the book, don't spend time in the book. And uh, so, Lord, I thank you so much that, that you are leading us through this. Help us to, to inform our minds uh, so that we can believe and obey what it is that you have told us in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 20. There was a question there, but let me say one more thing before we get started, and that's this. What I am doing is I have people that are emailing, texting, writing down on pieces of paper and giving it to me. They are giving me questions, as we talked about Lana Lee after that first time. I said I gave them too much information, and so we talked about it. And uh, so I've got people, some of you, that are sending questions uh, in, in various formats. And so I've got, you know, I'm able to look through and see, okay, that's something I really think we need to talk about. And this is something we need to talk about. So if you are reading through your Bible reading throughout the week, and you've got something you've got a question about, or maybe you understand it, but you think everybody else doesn't understand it, <laughs> Write that down, send it to me, and I'll take, a I'll take a look at all of these questions and kind of prioritize them and then maybe address it on Sunday nights. Okay, so someone, and I'm not going to mention names as far as who sent the questions in. That's not relevant to um, us here. Uh, but someone sent a question regarding Matthew chapter 20 and the parable that Jesus gave in verses 1 through 16. Um, and let me, just, let me just read a little bit of this parable to you. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven, and what's the kingdom of heaven? What is it? Kingdom of heaven is made up of King Jesus and all of those of us who are saved, right? We're in his kingdom. When we are saved, we are brought into the kingdom of heaven. We don't have to get to heaven to be in the kingdom of heaven. He is ruling from heaven. We are in the kingdom of heaven because we are saved. King Jesus is the one to dictate to us, and primarily he does it, does it right here. And so he said, let me tell you how the Christian life is lived with me as your king. That's what he's saying. The kingdom of heaven is like... A landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard after agreeing with the workers on one denarius. And a denarius is, uh, you know, just a little coin that was understood to be a one day's wage of, you know, a common laborer. You know, common laborer, first century, would get a denarius for a day. That was just really nice and simple. That's what they would get for working for a day. So he agreed as he hired them early in the morning that they would get a denarius and they were thinking well of course you know we're going to work all day we're going to get a day's wage we're going to get a denarius verse 3 when he went out about 9 in the morning he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing so he went out 3 hours later roughly 3 hours later assuming it started at 6 they were doing nothing and he said to them the 9 o'clock people 
you also go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So he doesn't tell them what he's going to give them. He just says, I'll give you what is right. You know what? Let's just go on and read this parable and I'll just, because I'm quickly explaining it. So off they went. Verse 5. About noon, so he waited three more hours. And about three, so he waited three more hours. He went out again and did the same thing. So he went out at six, he went out at nine, got more laborers, went out at noon, got more laborers, went out at three, got more laborers. And um, verse six, then about five. So quitting time is six. You know, quitting time is six o'clock in the evening. That's when their days started and begun was at six in the evening. So then about five, an hour before quitting time, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. Well, they were thinking, nobody's going to, we've only got an hour left, nobody's going to hire us. He said, you go into my vineyard, he told them. Verse 8, when evening came, probably around 6 o'clock, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired, about five came, they each received a day's wage. They received a denarius. They only worked an hour and they got a denarius. They got a day's wage. You know what the guys that were hired early in the morning were thinking? We're going to get a lot more than a denarius, right? That's what they were thinking. Ah, he's being super generous. He gave the people that worked an hour a day's wage. Wait until he gets to us, who's worked the whole day under the heat of the sun. Wait until he gets to us. He's going to give us a lot more than he said he was going to give us. Verse 10. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more. But they also received a denarius each. So everybody got the same. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us, who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. Right? Sounds unjust. They're complaining about the perceived injustice. People, that, they're coming to, to, the, to, the, to the one who hired them and saying, how in the world can you think this is fair? They worked an hour. They got a full day's pay. We worked 12 hours, and we got the same thing they got. Sounds like socialism, doesn't it? <laughs> it's what uh, the one who brought this question up, and I think it's a very good, fair question. They asked about this. You know, how are we to think about this? Because it looks very much like a socialist system, they said. <coughs> so what is going on? Look at verse 13. He replied to one of them. One of them who? One of those that had been hired early in the morning, maybe six at, at the morning. They had worked 12 hours. Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. So he calls them friend. He's not called, they're not enemies. You know, they're not, they're not enemies. They're his friend. He said, I'm not doing anything wrong to you. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Didn't, didn't we agree that this is what I was going to give you? you know, I, I'm not doing anything crooked or wrong. I gave you what I said I was going to give you. Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first last. So what is this parable about? If we were to go to Matthew chapter, I think it's chapter 23 or 25, 
Um, it's the parable of the talents. And the parable of the talents says that he gave some, you know, gave one five, gave another three, gave another one, and then they came back at the end of the day and they, you know, had to take an account. And the one who had the five, he was very productive with the five, and he got five more. The one with the three was productive with that, so he got three more. And so they're not all equal. It's not equal like this. Parable of the talents is for the purpose of telling us that the Lord will reward us according to um, what we have done in this life, right? It's not just, are you saved? Jesus is also going to take an assessment of our life and say, can I trust you? What did you do with the life that I gave you? Did you pursue the kingdom? Did you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And to what extent did you push the kingdom forward? And so the parable of the tower, uh, the, 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 uh, the sower uh, the parable of the, uh, the tares, actually, I'm sorry, the parable of the sower uh, tells us that, um, I'm, the parable of the talents teaches us that as we are productive in this life, that there will be proportional rewards. So what does this parable tell us? What does this parable tell us? This parable tells us that there are those who... Um, you know, it, 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 let, me, let, me, let, me, let me go back. Let me, let me, my brain's kind of getting foggy right here. Let, let, me, uh, let me write down, let me read to you what I wrote down. This is it. The parable of the vineyard workers, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, shows that God ultimately has the final say in how he will reward us. Many who think and others think will be have a high position in heaven will not be rewarded with such and others who are marginalized in this life might have a position of high rank in heaven and so as i was reflecting on the answer to this i believe that what this parable shows us and in fact that fits in with verse 16 the last will be first the first last i think this parable just makes it clear that just because someone is productive in this life doesn't mean that they're going to be rewarded in the way that they think they should be rewarded in heaven the lord is in charge of that he's the one this parable tells us he can do with his rewards whatever he wants to but I think one of the things this parable does is it lets us know that there are some who think that they are outperforming others and doing very well. And on the day of judgment, they're going to get so many rewards. And in fact, maybe because of wrong motives or any number of other things in their heart, the Lord will not reward them in the way that they expected. All of these people are saved, but the Lord is the one in charge of what he gives us. We can't tie God's hands. We cannot tie God's hands. Uh, we are to live this life in such a way that we are pushing forward the kingdom, but ultimately we rest in the Lord uh, for how it is that he will reward us. And uh, so that's my understanding of what this parable is talking about. Ain't got any questions on that? <laughs> Did I explain that right? Okay, Ruth. Yeah, well, when we're talking of rewards, um, clearly the Bible presents rewards as a motivation. Uh, if we were to look at Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, you know, if you, um, 
if you go out into the streets and blow the trumpets to, you know, pray in front of others to be seen by them, you've got your reward. Uh, but he said, it went you, when you pray, go into your closet, go into your private place, and you pray in secret, and the Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And so Jesus is telling us, be very careful of motives. Do the right thing, but make sure your heart is right so that you don't lose a reward. And so there are, there are plenty of passages that tell us that there are rewards to be had in heaven. For instance, Jesus also said, lay up your treasure in heaven right now i know that there are many evangelists and you know that that's that's that you know not they're not so much interested in discipleship their ministry is evangelism and so a lot of times they can take some parables or some things that jesus says and make it say it's a general truth but i don't think that the lay up your treasures in heaven is intended to talk about lost people in heaven now they can be some of our treasures in heaven but i don't think that's solely what that's talking about um we should be about the business if we care about people if we know that there is a place called hell and if we know that there's an enjoyable relationship with the father to be had we have got to share the gospel with people tell people about what jesus has done for them um, but the treasures in heaven while it can be lost souls that are now saved and they're waiting on us in heaven um, i think that also there's an understanding that this is i am I'm pursuing the Lord. I'm not seeing this life as something to be clinged. Just like Jesus in Philippians 2 didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, we also don't need to, be, to, to grasp you know, too much down here. Uh, but to live in such a way that we are laying what is valuable, what we can enjoy forever in heaven. Yes. Yes, in fact, I believe that that question, and, and she asked, for those that are online, um, Lana Lee asked, you know what, we're going to go to the next question to answer that question. Um, so, I believe the parable of the vineyard workers is not intended to teach us that everybody gets the same thing in heaven. Okay, this is something else. When you look at a parable in Scripture, when Jesus tells a parable, um, a parable, it seems as if when you read parables and when you're looking, it seems as if Jesus intended one main point. There's a few other things, but you can't take parables too far because it begins to break down, right? It's got one main thing. And so I believe that the main thing that the parable of the vineyard workers is telling us is not that everybody's going to get the same amount of rewards in heaven. It's saying that the Lord can do as he pleases. And a lot of times what we think, how we think people will be rewarded or not rewarded down here isn't going to be the way that it happens in heaven. Some people that are not respected, maybe think others think they're not really producing for the kingdom, we may be surprised how much they get rewarded by a benevolent uh, heavenly king named Jesus in heaven one day. Yes, Ed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's those that have gone through persecution, those that have gone through any number of things as they have lived for King Jesus, and they've gone through a whole lot more than maybe, than certainly some of us have in a place where it's free, um, where we don't really suffer. Um, so that could be addressed in this parable, uh, the fact that uh, it's speaking of the, the church and the Jewish nation. Um, 
but uh, but most certainly if nothing else it does tell us that the lord is the one who rewards he is the one who will do as he pleases it is his his to give okay so this this whole thing of the jewish nation with the church and also the first will be last the last first let's go to another question somebody asked a question about matthew 22 uh they asked uh what does matthew 22 verses 11 through uh 13 mean uh when there was uh jesus telling another parable and someone was in a wedding banquet but they didn't have wedding clothes on and so they were cast out into um, in a place of darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. So they asked, what is that talking about? I think this much more clearly speaks about the Jewish nation and the church and some of the other things that were brought up. So let's, let's just quickly go through this. Matthew chapter 22, let's just quickly go verses 1 through 14. And in fact, um, Lana Lee asked about, um, you know, what does it mean that many are called, few chosen? We see that in chapter 22, verse 14. So we'll answer it there. Matthew 22, verse 1. Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables. Parables. The kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, living a life for Jesus, living a saved Christian life in this world under the authority of King Jesus is kind of like this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. So who's the king? It's Jesus, who gave a wedding banquet for his son. So what is the wedding banquet? That's a yet future event that we are looking forward to, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the wedding of Christ and the church. And so he, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son, God for Jesus. He sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet but they didn't come so he said he sent people out to say come to this wedding banquet but they didn't come now who's he talking to the jews not all not all there's always been the remnant there's always been those that are believing but by and large Paul tells us, you know, that there's a partial hardening that has been going on, but yet there is a time whenever the Jews will come to Jesus, their Messiah. But this is talking about how he sent his servants to summon them. So who are the servants? They were the prophets. They were the prophets. Come to the Lord. Repent of your sins. Come to the Lord. So he sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. Again, he sent out other servants. He sent out more prophets in the Old Testament to tell those who were invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen is, and fattened cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. I mean, is, we could ask another question. Is God happy? Yes, he's happy. He is saying here, Jesus is telling a parable I want you who are having, maybe, you know, life is boring for you. Maybe you're getting up in the morning, you're, you're working in the field or, you know, with your cattle or whatever else. And then you go to bed at night and you wake up the next day and do the same thing. Maybe your life is boring, you're tired, you're drained, you're whatever. Come to a wedding feast. Let me pay for the food. Let me pay for the drink. Let me pay for the fun. Just come and enjoy yourself. That, that's what he's doing. So he says, come to the wedding banquet. Verse 5, but they paid no attention. This is the Jewish nation, by and large, rejected their Messiah and went away, one to his own farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. So what's that talking about? 
how they mistreated the prophets. They killed some of the prophets. Verse 7, the king was enraged, and he sent out his troops, killed those murderers, and burned down their cities. What's that talking about? The Assyrian um, invasion of Israel, the northern tribes, the Babylonian invasion of the southern two tribes, and taking out these people, the Jewish nation that had killed and abused God's prophets that were simply inviting them into a relationship with the God of all creation. So God sent through the Assyrians, through the Babylonians, those, those armies in to uh, pay back those ones who had rejected, and not just rejected, but had killed the messengers. Verse 8, Then he told his servants, The banquet is ready, but those who are, were invited are not worthy. Go then where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So now he's saying, just go find anybody. Just find anybody. Let's not have a banquet, a wedding banquet for my son. Let's not have one where nobody shows up. So he said, just bring anybody and everybody that'll come. Verse 10, so those servants went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. So what about that? They found everyone evil. Uh, they, they, uh, they gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. What do you think that Jesus is saying here? I don't think it's that complicated. Everybody an opportunity, regardless of who you are, what your criminal record is, None of that matters. You're a really bad person or you're somebody that is highly esteemed by society, come to the banquet, right? And what this is is an invitation to salvation. It doesn't matter what you've done. We can tell people that are, we can share the gospel with those who are outstanding citizens and say, you have got to trust in Jesus in order to come into a relationship with the Father. And we can go to the worst of criminals and say, you need to trust in Jesus because you can be brought into a relationship with the Father. That's what he's talking about. It's not that they were evil and stayed evil. It's that the message went out to those who were evil and those who were perceived to be good. Verse 11, when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there. This is the question that was asked. He saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. Well, no kidding. <laughs> he was out on the street that day. He didn't even know he was going to be going to a wedding. And he's not in a wedding gown or robe. So what's going on here? Clearly, for this one man to be labeled and to be noticed meant that everybody else had the wedding robes on, right? Everybody else did. He didn't. This tells me that when the king sent out his servants to gather just anybody, he went out this time with robes, saying, you know, I've even got your wedding robe. Just put this wedding robe on. Come, come in. But there's one guy that didn't put the wedding robe on. What's this a picture of? I believe this is a picture of someone who is mingling in the church, who is mingling with believers, who does not have the righteousness of Christ. And it's intentional. They don't feel like they need it. They don't feel like they want it. Whatever else, they are unsaved. 
they're going around with the crowd of those who are saved and maybe there are some that think they are but as jesus looks he sees you're not wearing the righteous righteous white robe and so he the king came in to see the guests he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding so he said to him friend now here friend means he's reaching out to him friend how did you get in here without wedding clothes the man was speechless okay so we, there's there's stuff that jesus is saying here i wish i could have seen jesus eyes as he told his parable i wish that i could see that has seen his mannerisms but all he tells us is the man didn't say anything um it could be that, the, and if, if I am correct on this, and commentaries, uh, I, I believe, agree on this, that this man, by not having the wedding robe, means that he is lost, but he's trying to mingle with the saved. And so it's like in a church, there are going to be people who are mingling, but their heart hasn't been changed. They're not truly saved. They don't have the righteousness of Christ, and Jesus sees right through it said why don't you have the righteousness of christ why aren't you saved they've got nothing to say verse 13 then the king told the attendant tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth so weeping and gnashing of teeth what's that talking about hell, hell. um it's not that this guy um it's not that this guy didn't have a wedding robe. No, everybody else had a wedding robe. So it looks as if that in Jesus' parable, that those who went out to say, hey, come to the wedding, that they also gave them a wedding robe. So this guy intentionally didn't wear it, intentionally did not wear it, did not want to be saved, did not want Jesus, but he was mingling in the group. And so Jesus said, well, you get what it is that unbelievers get, and that is a place called hell verse 14 for many are invited or chosen but are called but few are chosen okay so what's that talking about what's verse 14 saying for many are invited or called but few are chosen if you were if you were in the theology class on thursday nights couple of weeks ago and i've still got to get the one up from this last thursday on justification and uh the the that aspect of salvation but a couple of weeks ago we talked about election you have to it's in it's in scripture election predestination those words they're in scripture and so what we discussed and what we what i pointed out was there's always god's side and there's always our side god does his business and we can't understand it we don't understand it we believe it because the bible says it but we don't understand it but then there's our part our part is what whosoever will may come whosoever will may come if you want to give your heart to the lord jesus christ you don't have to worry about god doing his part let him figure that out let him do that your job is if you want to give your heart to the lord jesus christ then do it then do it in john chapter 3 we know what verse 16 says it's a very popular verse but John 3, 18, two verses later, Jesus said that those who um, do not believe are condemned already because they didn't believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so Jesus doesn't say people are condemned because God didn't choose them. He says they're condemned because they didn't believe, right? And so what we see in verse 14 is God's part over here on this side. Many are invited, 
few are chosen. That's talking about the election, the predestination. That's talking about that. But if you go back to the story, the one who represents God, the king, he says, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? He's not saying because I didn't choose you. He's saying it's your fault. Why did you come in here without wedding clothes? So I just want you to know the Bible teaches both of those things, both of those things. A lot of times when people are arguing and debating over God and his choosing or people and their right to, to choose or not choose the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, it's, they're arguing from one side or the other. You can't get past the fact that the Bible teaches both. We believe both. But we don't have to work. We can, we can enjoy the fact that if we are saved, we can know that God chose us. But, but that is God's part. Our job is to share the gospel with anyone who will listen. And their responsibility is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? But at the end, for many are invited, few chosen. That's talking about God's part. Does that make sense? Got questions on that? Okay, so uh, let's go, let's just look at a few more, a couple more. Um, let's go back to Exodus 24. Let's go to the Old Testament. Exodus 24. There was a question that was brought up regarding uh, Moses and uh, how he was able to remember all of the laws that God gave him because we're led to believe that he didn't write them down when he was on the mountain. Um. Exodus 24, the question is, how did Moses remember all of those precise details? So let's look at the text. Look at Exodus 24. Look at verses 3 and 4. Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all of the ordinances. And so he's just giving. If you've been reading through Exodus up to this point, you realize that there were lots of laws that were given. And so Moses came, came down the mountain, and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all of the ordinances. Then all the people responded with a single voice, we will do everything that the Lord has commanded. So Moses came and told them everything. Verse 4, and Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. So he wasn't writing up there. <laughs> I'm telling you, if I don't write stuff down, I know I'm going to forget it. That's why I've got an organizer. That's why I say, hey, if y'all have got a question for me or a comment, please write it down, because if it's not written down, I'm going to forget it. I know I will. And yet it tells us that Moses absorbed all of these commands from the Lord, and then he came down and just from memory shared with all of the people all of the commands and they said yes all that the lord has said we will do and then he wrote it down in verse four so the question is how did he remember all of this stuff bible memorization there you go the more you do it the easier it gets <laughs> a plug for a wanted and i think that's what i got i think isn't that right tina <laughs> um Oh, there you go. John chapter 14, verse 26. Larry said that it's like with the disciples, the Lord will bring things to your remembrance. John 14, 26. Uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said this. But the counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Will remind you of everything I've told you. Okay, so there's... 
multi-layers of scripture right i mean there's a surface understanding you get and then you dig deeper there's more and more and more and more and more you never mind never fully plunge the depths of scripture on the surface uh i think that you know this is just a general principle that if we are in a situation when we are in a situation and we need to have a word of the lord like jesus he was tempted by satan in matthew chapter 4 and he needed scripture to come to mind to fight off the temptation holy spirit's the one that brings it to mind right satan it is written you shall not tempt the lord your god satan it is written man shall not live by bread alone and so the holy spirit brings to to his mind brought those to his mind the holy spirit does that to us as well but i believe that primarily what jesus was saying in john 14 26 that the holy spirit will bring these things to your mind i think he was primarily talking to those apostles that were going to write scripture that he's going to bring all of these parables all these things i've said all the things i've done he's going to bring those things to your mind so that as you sit down and write out what is scripture that it will accurately convey what I said, accurately convey what happened. So much so even that the four of, uh, you know, Matthew was there and then John was there. So Jesus, I believe, is speaking specifically to those two. But then you also have Peter writing things, didn't write a gospel, but he did write you know, a few letters re- referencing back to what Jesus said. Um, I believe he was primarily speaking to them that when you sit down to write out what will be scripture the holy spirit's going to give you the ability to write out those things accurately that i said that i did and so it's not merely a good memory it's the holy spirit that miraculously enabled them to recall those things what about leviticus what What oh yeah yes yes yeah yep yep uh so the holy spirit active in the old testament and in the new okay you know there's there's a couple of more but uh, do y'all have any questions so far any any questions any anything in the in the new testament um we'll probably take one more and that'll be it anything yeah uh exodus 24 Yeah, he, then he took the covenant scroll or the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. They responded, we will do and obey all the Lord has commanded. If I'm not mistaken, um, when you look at verse 4, and Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And so in verse 4, he has written now in a scroll. He's written now all of these things down. I believe the book of the covenant is what he wrote in verse 4. And so these are not merely Moses' words. These are words that God entered into covenantal relationship with his people. And the covenant was this. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. And uh, so the, uh, the, the book of the covenant, the covenantal scroll, is the Torah, you know? To this extent, what Moses wrote down. Okay, so let's, let's uh, get one more thing and then we're done. Um, someone asked about how God was glorified through Pharaoh and his troops. Um, 
Did you notice that as you were reading about how the Lord was telling uh, Moses, hey, you know, I'm going to harden his heart so that uh, he's not going to follow you and I will get glory in this, right? Um, look at Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14. Look at verses 15 through 18. Exodus 14, 15 through 18. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, So God spoke to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? <laughs> Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry land. So they have left Egypt. They're now pinned between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. And so they're crying out to the Lord. And the Lord said, why are you worried? Why are you stressed? Lift up your staff, Moses. Stretch out your hand over the sea. And by the way, just a little thing. Did you notice that as the... Um, the thing as Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh at the very beginning it was not Moses that threw his staff down it was who Aaron in fact Aaron was doing a few of those things if you watch movies Moses doing all of it mm -mm, it wasn't so much why because Moses was the one that was saying Lord who am I who am I, who am I gonna say is gonna send me Lord I, I'm slow of speech I forgot the language and the Lord said who made man's mouth well I'm gonna send Aaron Aaron's gonna go well what we see is Aaron is doing many of these things up front and I think Moses faith kind of grew as he saw Aaron he said Aaron step aside and so as you see these things playing out Moses begins to do all of this right so uh, Moses was not an early adopter. Aaron was the one who was leading the charge, and then Moses followed along. So God told Moses. Now Moses is confident in his God, and, and God says, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Verse 17. As for me, God says, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians. Now, again, um, there's God's side, and there's our side, people's side, right? If, if you were to go back through this story and look at, okay, how many times did God say he hardened Pharaoh's heart? And how many times does it say Pharaoh hardened his own heart? And then how many times does it not say who did it? You would realize that it's about 50-50 as far as God hardening and people, uh, Pharaoh hardening his own heart. And then, you know, there's those in the middle. That's because God is doing his mysterious work, ruling supremely over the circumstances, and yet Pharaoh is not being coerced in any way. He's doing exactly what his heart wants to do, right? So both of these are true. It's not like God is bullying up on Pharaoh. Pharaoh is doing exactly what he wants to do. His heart is hardened, right? Mm-hmm. In, in regard to Jesus, if you want Jesus, God will give that. If you do not want Jesus, God won't force you. That's right, exactly. And so, so there's, there's God's side and our side. And so some of the times it says that God was doing it, God was hardening his heart, but it just as well could have said that Pharaoh was hardening his heart there because God wasn't forcing Pharaoh to do anything Pharaoh didn't want to do. Pharaoh was hardening his heart also. It's just all depending on from what vantage point you're talking 
As for me, verse 17, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians. But the Egyptians harden their own hearts so that they will go after them. And I will receive glory, God says, by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and horsemen. So God says, I will receive glory by means of them. Verse 18, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So the question again is, how was God glorified through Pharaoh and his troops? How was God glorified? So Lana Lee said, for those that are online, Lana Lee said they finally came to recognize that God was who God said he was. They ought, well, they saw that he was the, the one true God. Who, who was the world power at that time? Egypt. Who was at the top of the food chain in Egypt? Pharaoh. That, he was the person, and they were the army to be feared at that time. And yet God said, I'm going to demonstrate my glory by causing others to see how wonderful and mighty the God of Israel is by how it is that I treat the Egyptians, this powerful, supposedly powerful army. To glorify God does not mean that he gets any better. It doesn't mean that. It just means that people come to understand him in a clearer way, right? And so when God says this, God is simply saying that I will get glory. The Egyptians will see that the God of Israel is not a God to be trifled with because I will do this thing to Pharaoh and to his army, and even the Egyptians will acknowledge that I am a God to be feared. And so that, that's, I believe, what it's talking about here. God uh, got glory through Pharaoh and his troops um, by... Um, overpowering them and then uh, people just seeing that the God of Israel was much more powerful than them. He got glory. Yes, that's right. And Rahab did reference back to this. Did reference back to this. Um, and she was well aware of what God had did by parting the Red Sea. And so we believe that uh, at some point around there that Rahab the prostitute became a follower of, of the Lord um, because God had glorified himself and her heart was moved to trust in him, to believe in him. So, yes. We don't know. The Bible does tell us, though, that even whenever the Israelites came out of Egypt, that there was a mixed multitude that came out with them. And so... Um, it very well could be that there were Egyptians that came out with them because they saw what was going on and said, the Lord, he is God, right? Okay, anything else? Yes. And look how the nation of Israel traveled for 40 years. Yeah. Okay, so let's just uh, kind of tidy up by taking that principle and applying it to us today. Um, Whenever we read this, I mean, this, this is unusual. This, this sort of miracles that God did with Egypt, that, that's not something that really happened throughout biblical history. 
I mean, when Jesus showed up, God the Son, we would expect that the, the laws of nature would be tampered with. And, you know, as he shows up and he performs miracles and that sort of thing to validate who he is. But other than that, then we don't see a whole lot of that. There are miracles, of course, but we don't see it as much, as frequently. Um, and so whenever you have in the book of Acts, you have people that are saying that, you know, they took note of Peter and John and realized that they were untrained men, unlearned men, but they knew they'd been with Jesus. Their lives were glorifying the Lord. It wasn't the miracles. It wasn't the part in the Red Sea. It wasn't, you know, all of these other things. It was their lives testified to the fact, their courage in the face of, of potential death for trusting in Jesus, for proclaiming his name, their lives and their courage testify to the fact that they believed their God was powerful. And in their actions, they were glorifying God. So, you just have to wonder if as the early disciples were like that and people were being drawn to God because their lives were glorifying him, like they glorified, the Lord was glorified in the Old Testament, what do people see when they look at us? <laughs> do our lives glorify the Lord? It's not, are we doing miracles? It, that's, again, I, just those, those were limited in Scripture. By and large, most of the time, the people of God just lived with a desire to obey Him, but they, did, they didn't have the ability to do all this stuff. It was just day-to-day -day being obedient to the Lord and doing the things that He'd called them to do. And in so doing, glorifying the Lord. Let's desire to live in such a way that our life glorifies the Lord so that when other people look at us, they see a big God. They see a big God. Yeah. They'll know you by your love for one another. That's right. Let's pray, and we'll uh, take off. Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for this time that we've been able to look at some questions, some texts uh, here in uh, the reading from this past week. Lord, I pray that this time has been helpful um, to help us to understand. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and if you have, please consider leaving a positive review and an honest, positive comment wherever you get your podcasts, because doing so will help others to find this podcast and uh, benefit from it as well. The Enjoying the Bible podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. We'll see you next time.